Amen. While you're still standing, if you could turn back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. And we'll look at just one verse today, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Let me read God's word uh, for us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, as Cole prayed for us as well, would you open our eyes uh, to see wondrous things out of your law? Uh, Would we see the good gift uh, that you've given us and how you care for your church, even through faithful elders? Would you raise up such elders among us as you have done over the decades? And would you help us uh, love and support them in our own Christian walk? But help us to see Jesus, uh, our great shepherd, our great elder, our great leader this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we live in the Pacific Northwest, uh, which means that by definition, we have a rugged individualism in our bones, right? And it's sort of a double whammy because as Americans, we already have a rugged individualism, right? This self-made country, the self-made man or woman. And then you take some of those Americans and historically you send them across the whole country through danger and toil on uh, horse-drawn and cattle-drawn wagons, I know things, all the way here to settle new towns and new cities and new churches under threat of death. Even if you didn't grow up here, right, you, you get that sense that a rugged individualism is in our bones. We're very proud of it. And not all of that's bad. I mean, there's, you might not know this, you probably know this, there's a video game made about us called The Oregon Trail. And it was one of the first games to be on personal computers. And, you know, you take three steps and someone dies of dysentery, right? I mean, it, and, it, and that wasn't too much of an exaggeration of what it was like to move across this country to here. So there's good things about that. It makes us you know, we, we think about things. We're not just going to do them uh, just because someone tells us to do them. Some of that's really good, but it makes it hard maybe to hear a verse like Hebrews thirteen seventeen, right? Uh, this verse is probably not on, in the Northwest, you won't see like the city of Medford, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. obey your leaders and submit to them, Right? Or that, there's that great shop down in uh, downtown Medford uh, called the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Amy's gotten me some great shirts and things from there. You don't see a shirt in the Pacific Northwest store that just says, ready to submit. <laughs> you know, the Northwest, that's who we are. And so as we talk about this idea of submitting to uh, leaders in the church, and, and particularly the elders of the church, um, know that we, we might be fighting an uphill battle. One, we're going to clarify some things, and I hope that's helpful But I think we need to be aware that we might be shaped by our surroundings more than we think. I've used this analogy before, but it's like the fish who swims up to the other fish and says, uh, hey, the water's nice today, and the other fish says, what's water? When we grow up in a culture, we imbibe the good and the bad of it, and we should celebrate the good and, and, and think about the bad. And 
So if there's difficulties to taking in Hebrews 13, 17, let me invite you this morning to have an open mind to what the Spirit might tell you um, about what it means and doesn't mean to submit to faithful elders. And really the point of the message this morning is the gift of faithful elders. Last week, we looked at the gift of faithful officers, and we're using that even English word, you don't see that word necessarily in Scripture, to talk about the elders and the deacons in our churches. Uh, those men that God has raised up, uh, particularly to hold uh, office, an office being a publicly recognized role which has responsibilities. And remember, we said last week that first and foremost, all of us are office bearers as Christians. Uh, we hold the office of Christian. Uh, Jesus ministers through all of his people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, and then we then elect elders and deacons uh, above us, that Christ uses by his grace. In other words, if if you said, how does Jesus, I know he ministers to the church, how does he do it? He does it through his people, primarily, obviously through his word, through the spirit, but he raises up individuals and leaders to do it. And so we looked at that last week, and now we want to zoom in on the office of elder. Um, And that encompasses my own role um, as a, what we call a teaching elder in our denomination, other denominations might have different terms. That's okay. Uh, and then ruling elders, uh, your ruling elders. So as I said last week, the goal is to convince you that faithful elders here are a gift from the Lord. And so let's look, we're going to look at three ways, uh, three reasons to receive these men. We're going to, number one, receive faithful elders. So we're going to talk about the character of these men. Number two, we're going to receive watchful elders, talk about their role, what do they do. And number three, we're going to receive them for their joy and for yours. So let's look at number one, receive faithful elders. Again, we come to that word submit, and uh, uh, you know, because of who we are in the moment we're in, we might shudder a little bit. We talked last week, of course, about uh, those who would abuse their power as shepherds and elders, as false teachers. And what we don't have in mind is submitting to those who are destroying or harming the sheep. Uh, John Calvin, uh, uh, early reformer, puts it this way uh, about this passage. He says, But it ought at the same time to be noticed that the apostle speaks only of those who faithfully perform their office, for they have nothing but the title, uh, nay, who use the title of pastors for the purpose of destroying the church. Uh, They deserve but little reverence and still less confidence. And this is also what the apostle plainly sets forth when he says that they watched for their souls, a duty which is not performed by those, uh, except those who are faithful rulers and are really are what they are called to be. In other words, we're not called to just submit to someone who likes to take offices and titles and destroy those under their care. And if we could generalize it a bit, there's other uh, passages, you know, children are called to submit to parents, um, wives to husbands, we'll teach more on that someday. Uh, scripture isn't a, is unashamed to use the word submit, but never does Scripture have in mind that someone is to submit to someone who is abusing or seeking to destroy them or use them. And so we need to say that from the get-go. But what, what does he have in mind then when he says to obey your leaders and submit to them? 
Uh, these are some interesting terms. Obey here could mean to persuade or convince, or it could mean to obey or to follow. So in Acts 17.4, uh, it says that the men were persuaded to join Paul and Silas. Uh, or in Acts 5.37, actually about a false teacher, it says they followed him and then were scattered. And so obey certainly has the idea that as far as uh, elders and teachers are teaching things according to God's word, we obey uh, what they're saying. Uh, but it, there's also in here a nuance of being convinced. Uh, a good leader is one uh, whom people are willing to follow, right? And I think uh, that's even in this word here. But what about this word submit? That's sort of the linchpin here, and sometimes the difficulty for us. The exact word here, it's only used here in the New Testament, although there's another word that's used all over the place. Uh, but here, uh, the word literally means to withdraw, to give way to. Uh, to yield to someone's rightful authority, to yield, give way, to submit. And so we're going to look, and and of course, nuance that this is limited by God's word. Uh, This isn't sort of um, blind submission to whatever this person says. But even, I would argue, if we get all those nuances on the table, there's still a part of our heart that just doesn't like it. (laughs) We don't like the idea of submitting to anyone, (laughs) Uh, let alone perhaps a church leader. And yet, Scripture uses other terms for submission all over the place. Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's also our theme verse, right? Or Titus 3, 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Or 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject uh, to the elders, those who are older than you. Or Ephesians 5, 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, put a, a footnote, we will spend more time on that uh, later. Or Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So you see, as we, as we keep getting deeper, this, this idea of not liking submission goes all the way back to the fall. Uh, when God says, you may eat of any tree in the garden except this one. What did we want to do (laughs) but eat that one tree? We think we know better. And then Jesus himself is the perfect example. As a young young man, Luke 2.51, it says, He went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So the Son of God himself models that the idea of submitting, if done rightfully in the right time with the right person who has rightful authority, is not something we should balk at. Uh, but live into. So we're called to submit to elders in in the church. But what's the character of these men, so-called? Turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy 3. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 is what we'll look at. Titus chapter 1 has a similar passage. And and these are what we call the qualifications for elders uh, or for overseers. And by the way, Elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd, bishop, these are all interchangeable terms in the New Testament uh, for those who are uh, elders, leaders in the church. We tend to use the word elder mostly. And so even as we're looking at Hebrews 13, 17 and saying, I'm called to submit to certain elders, what what are these men supposed to be like? Let me read for us from uh, 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And and by the way, I'll I'll get to verse 2, but 
part of preaching on uh, officers and elders is, is to prompt if, if there might be men out there who uh, are praying and considering whether God might be calling them. Perhaps you have a desire uh, for the office, and perhaps over time that's being matched with other people recognizing that and saying, that's the kind of person I would follow. I would be willing to follow this person. They're humble. They love Christ. And so just be thinking about that as we continue in this uh, sermon. But uh, he says, if he desires, he desires a noble task, uh, verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. As I said, uh, Titus chapter 1 has a similar uh, verse 8 here will go on to qualifications for deacons, which are almost uh, verbatim in many ways. You'll notice there's, there's a few skill sets like able to teach, you know, managing his household well. There's some implications about some administrative ability to oversee the church. Uh, but the vast majority of these are descriptive words of character. And isn't that fitting that the Bible would call us to submit to those people who read 1 Timothy 3 and submit themselves to God's Word, to submit themselves to these things, uh, and, and, and see the Spirit working in them to bring about this kind of fruit. Uh, in other words, we're called to submit to those who are submitted to Christ. And how else does he say that? But in our passage, he says, uh, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. As those who will have to give an account. It's actually the same, the same Greek phrase. Remember a few weeks ago, we were in Luke 16, and there's the parable of the dishonest manager, and, and here's this manager who squandered the money, and the master comes to the manager and says, give me an accounting of what you've done. That's the same term here. Elders, one day, myself included, will have to stand before Christ, and he will say, give me an accounting of how you've shepherded the people, of how you've looked at 1 Timothy 3, and repented of your sin when it comes up, and, and seen growth and grace over time, of how you have submitted first and foremost to the chief shepherd, even as you lead others to imitate you as you imitate Christ. In other words, the Bible only calls us to submit to those who are accountable in the most extreme way to Jesus Christ himself. That's the kind of structure, as it were. We have even some human structures in our denomination which, which carry out that accountability, but just every elder will have to answer to Christ, and those are the men that we submit to. I remember in seminary, we would often, a good seminary will teach you many things, but it will keep coming back to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and have you read it, and pray through it, and look at each word. And by the way, church, if, if there are men that you start giving us elders ideas, you know, I would follow this person. I would love to see this man trained up to be an elder. Um, part of that training process is going to these passages and having these men spend weeks looking at each word and praying through them and asking, God, am I above reproach? Am I self-controlled? 
And I remember when my professor saying, if you can get through the whole list and then read Hebrews 13, 17, that you're going to have to give an account to Christ, if you can go through the whole list and not be a little bit scared over at least one of the words, descriptive words, then you need to read it harder, <laughs> right? And it's actually those men that would read 1 Timothy 3 with fear and trembling. Those are the men that you want to elect to be your elders, right? Not a false humility, of, uh, but, but a true sense that they know it's only by the Spirit's work in them that they could be faithful and lead a church to be the same. And so we're to receive faithful elders, those submitted to Christ. Number two, we're to receive watchful elders. Uh, And and you see that term, uh, they are keeping watch over your souls. One author I read this week said, what better way to summarize? What's the role of an elder but to watch over the souls of the people? To watch over the souls of the people. You know, I'm often asked, and people ask, what do, what do elders and pastors do outside of Sunday? What do they do? Well, let me just speak to the ruling elders. Let me speak about them. They, they pray for you. They call you. They weep with you when you're weeping. They rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. They weep over you when you're not weeping over your sin. And they long that you would see it and repent and come back to Christ. They shed tears of joy when people come back to Christ. They keep watch over your souls. Not as those who think that they're in some higher plane of spirituality, but those who are growing in their own understanding of their sin and and the graciousness of Christ and long for you to experience it as well. And so they oversee, they shepherd, they watch, they, they feed you the word, not just in the pulpit, but throughout the week. And they encourage you to do the same. They, they stir you up to love and good deeds and all that Christ would call you to do. And so, again, let me, let me read Calvin again. I think he's so sharp on this point. It says that we're called, they give account the elders will give an account and we give them respect due to the greater labor and danger that they do, for they watch. And his meaning is that the heavier the burden they bear, the more honor they deserve. For the more labor anyone undertakes for our sake and the more difficulty and danger he incurs for us, the greater are our obligations to him. And such is the office of bishops that it involves the greatest labor and the greatest danger. If then we wish to be grateful, we can hardly render to them that which is due, and especially as they are to give an account of us to God, it would be a disgraceful for us to make no account of them. Calvin's saying, honor is due to those who are putting themselves in danger for your sake. Not even to mention then the, uh, even the spiritual battle that comes. I remember even, it, not, it, it's not just elders, anyone who would who would lead in any way in the church. I remember uh, being involved in youth ministry, and we would often tell people, we would try to scare them away of being youth leaders. Because they would say, to, to be a youth leader, to commit to these students, it's like you're painting a target on your back for the evil one. Uh, he hates what you're doing here. He hates that you're preaching the gospel to these students. It's a dangerous work, like a good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And so when we think about our Pacific Northwest aversion to submission, 
even that falls away. Even the most rugged Pacific Northwesterner, if the building's on fire and the firefighter comes up the ladder and says, get out of there, (laughs) come to safety, even the most rugged individual does not say, who are you? Who are you to tell me what to do? I decide for myself what's good for me. And so I'm going to stay here. And yet, friends, how often we do that, because we don't realize that there are people keeping watch over our souls who, are, who care for us enough that they will tell us difficult things, even though they know it might threaten their relationship with us. They actually care more about you than pleasing you in sort of a man-pleasing way. They care more that you would come back to Christ, even if it means that they walk away from you. I remember a time in my life, we, we all need elders in our life. Um, I was on a mission trip, and uh, in hindsight, what was happening, my heart was sort of becoming embittered toward one of the team members. Uh, and there were some legitimate things that me and this person worked out afterward. Um, there was some mutual uh, sin, but uh, an elder came up to me and, and noticed that and, and said, hey, I, I don't think everyone's noticed, which is God's grace, but I've noticed, and you need to get your heart right with this person. Um, and I needed that. And that could have come from a non-elder as well, but in this case, it was, it was one of our faithful elders. He gently took me aside and corrected me, and I needed it. We need people to be, who are watching over our souls. Uh, just like we need the great shepherd, uh, the good shepherd who watches over his sheep and who knows them by name, uh, the good shepherd who, who knows... <laughs> that whether we're elders or, or church members, whatever our specific role is, when we read 1 Timothy 3, there are many things on that list on any given week that we say, Lord, I have failed. I can't live up to this standard. And yet he was the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Uh, the good shepherd who laid down his life for those who would read 1 Timothy 3 and be aware of their own sin and yet would put their faith in him. He came And he lived out 1 Timothy 3. He lived out all of this perfectly. Jesus is the one who is imminently qualified to be your shepherd. And he's the one that raises up faithful men. And so even as we talk about under-shepherds, I I, I do need to pose the question, is Jesus your over-shepherd, your great shepherd, your chief shepherd? Because the rest of this stuff won't make any sense unless you have given your heart to him unless you have found forgiveness in him as both the shepherd and the sheep who laid down his life? Have you put your faith in him? Would you do that even now if you hear his voice calling through the Spirit? And so we receive watchful elders, watchful just like the great shepherd. Number three, we receive these men for their joy and for your joy. And so that's the tail end of verse 17. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That would be of no advantage uh, to you. Uh, in other words, there's, there's an obligation that we have. There are those over us keeping watch over our souls. We're called to submit to them uh, and honor them in the Lord. We'll talk about some of the limits of that in just a moment. Uh, but there's this further obligation. It's not just, we all know that you can submit 
to something begrudgingly. Um, young people in the room, I know you never do this with your parents, that if you obey them, you always do it with a smile, right? No, we know what it means to obey <laughs> and, and sort of check it off the list, right? I know I'm supposed to obey, so I do it. But here he's saying it matters even how you do it, <laughs> uh, what it looks like to, to care for and, and love and follow these men. And we'll talk more about what that looks like in a minute. Um, I remember recently I, I heard of a pastor who said he had this um, he had this church member who would come up to him, you know, almost any Sunday and, and sort of berate him and, and say, "You should have done this. Uh, why don't we do this as a church?" Uh, just sort of a laundry list every Sunday. Uh, and, and at one point, this church member got to the point of saying, "Look, if, if you if I don't start seeing these changes, I'm going to go to another church." And the pastor came up to this person and, again, lovingly, gently, but said, I'll just say Joe, just so that there's a name. You know, Joe, you actually don't want a pastor who would give in to those demands and just do what you want. Do you? And the person said, well, no. I I don't want a pastor that would just do whatever I want them to do. I I want a pastor who's going to speak into my life. Hear me, certainly. This is for their joy, enjoying the work, but also for your benefit. He says it would be of no advantage to you, meaning that if we do this in a way that garners joy, that's going to lead to longevity in our elders because they enjoy the work as hard as it is. And it's to your advantage. He's, it's as if the author of Hebrews wants to convince you to receive men like this over you. They would do their work joyfully. And it will be of great advantage to you as they pray for you and walk with you and point you to Christ week in and week out. And so this is what it means to receive uh, these men. And like last week, I I do want to look at one, briefly, one barrier. We have these barriers of saying, okay, I hear what you're saying. I get that Hebrews 13 says to submit to them in some sense, you know, but whether because of the past or I've seen bad examples I don't know. I don't know if I can submit. And, and, and maybe the, the lingering question is, does this mean that church officers have all the power in the church, right? Are the church leaders kind of just gathering up the power and the authority and wanting to wield it? Well, other than looking at passages where Jesus says, you know, the, the first among you must be the slave, the servant, and Jesus himself being uh, the, the chief servant who washes the disciples' feet, um, let me actually read for you from our book of church order. You never thought that uh, we'd read this together, um, but it actually um, has something pretty profound to say here regarding this question. What, what's the nature of church power and authority that we're called to submit to? Because whether you realize it or not, this short little book is actually more about limiting church power than anything else, limiting it to God's word. So l- let me read this. All Church power is only ministerial and declarative. For the Holy Scriptures are the only infallible rule of faith and practice. A no church court may presume to bind the conscience by making laws on the basis of its own authority. All its decisions should be founded on the word of God. All church power is wholly moral and spiritual. 
No church officers or courts possess any civil jurisdiction. They may not inflict any civil penalties, nor may they seek the aid of the civil power in the exercise of their jurisdiction, fun words, further than may be necessary for civil protection and security. Nevertheless, church government is a valid and authentic jurisdiction to which Christians are commanded to submit themselves. Do you hear what it's saying? Church power is ministerial and declarative. We minister the word of God to God's people. We declare what God's word says. The third word that we don't do is we don't legislate. Uh, The elders don't get together and say, what new laws should we come up with this week? Um, You know, everyone needs to wear purple next Sunday or, uh, you know, there'd be silly examples, but every, every time... Uh, we're enforcing something, we're constantly going back to God's word and saying, what does God's word say? Because we don't want to stand before the people and ask them to do something that's not commanded in his word to do. And so that's the, that's the limits of church power. It is ministering God's word to God's people, declaring God's word to God's people. And when we find ourselves outside of that, we are very willing to correct and say, you're right. <laughs> I think we pushed a little too hard on that. Let's take a step back on that. And so that's the kind of church power that we're called to submit to. What does it look like then to receive? We've already talked about the idea of submission. Uh, Last week we talked about the idea, pray for these men constantly by name, that we need your prayers. I love these men and their families, invite them over, get to know them, help them get to know you. Receive from them both discipleship and correction. Right, the the proverbs tell us that the you know the uh, the correction of a friend it, it it's like a wound but it's it, it's precious to us it's like a gift. Uh, use us. We're called to be servants for your sake. So often I hear people say, "I, I would have called, but I, I know you're so busy." But we're busy serving you. We're here for you. Uh, we're here to follow Christ who washed feet. And so if you have questions about the Bible that you want to sit down and and talk with us about. I mean, come on, we're Reformed elders. That's like music to our ears, (laughs) Uh, you know, to say, I have questions about the Bible, and we, you know, our heart rate goes up. But but if you need someone to pray with, if you need someone just to listen to you, use us, utilize us. And then as we've talked about, help recognize those men whom God might be calling. That's uh, that's where the church starts to recognize these are the men that I, w- I would follow these men uh, and, and start to, even at this stage in the process, we'll talk more about the process later, but come to me, come to other elders, even just unofficially to say, you know what, I was praying the other day, th- th- let me give you this name of someone to consider uh, because as far as I know them, I would be willing to follow them as an elder or as a deacon. And then as we've said, consider your own calling. Uh, perhaps God might be calling you to take on uh, this office. And lastly, imitate their faith. Elders are called to be examples to the flock. And if you look back at verse 7 of this same chapter, you might have noticed, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And imitate their faith. Uh, the elder is one who is willing to say, with trembling, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
And if something doesn't match up, I'm seeking the Spirit's correction in that. And praise God, we have the example of faithful men who have been at work in our midst. And this morning we have a particular example of our own Dave Vandenberg. And we'll say more words about him in a moment, but let me just speak briefly to the faithfulness of of this man. Uh, Dave Vandenberg has been serving this particular church for over 46 years. My understanding is that he's the only adult who was here when the church started. Uh, Deb Swanson was younger then, but right? So we have two in the room that were here at the very beginning. Uh, Ann Vandenberg was helping me with some stats on Dave Vandenberg. Um, and some of it we had to extrapolate and do math, which is dangerous, but we estimated that Dave Vandenberg has sat through over 500 session meetings, and that's just the normal monthly meetings, perhaps over 150 or more special session meetings, membership, meeting with people. Uh, he's been on probably well over 150 pastoral visits to your homes. He was the clerk of session who, who keeps the notes and the records for over 25 years. I didn't know that. Using a typewriter at first. He's probably taught something over 90 or more Sunday school lessons or other settings. Uh, he's uh, prayed on behalf of God's people, certainly daily, but in official prayer meetings probably over 2,000 times. He served with, is it five pastors at this point? Five pastors at this point. Let me read um, Dennis Gemmon, who couldn't be here. I didn't prompt him. He just sent this and said, I can't be there. Can you please read this? He says this, I will miss the retirement festivities. Dave has been a dear friend of mine for about 45 years. I've worked with him on the Trinity session since 1985 or 86. I can't remember. Dave will be remembered as one who had a steady faith, was quick to hear and slow to speak, had a great love for the traditions of the Reformed faith and of its hymns. He has ensured that true congregational singing has been preserved at Trinity and that the songs and hymns that we use are rich in biblical doctrine. Dave has, a shepherd, Dave's, Dave has shepherded the flock by example. He, he has a disciplined Christian life. His love of theological literature, his vast knowledge of the history of the church, and his thoughtful concern for the sheep produced a steady growth in faith and in the knowledge of God at Trinity OPC. The Bible says this, Let the elders who rule be, uh, be well, well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Dave Vandenberg is worthy of this ascription. So let my brother and fellow soldier in the army of Christ receive the double honor uh, that he deserves uh, today. And of course, we think of that great day uh, when... We, in Christ, anyone who belongs to Christ will hear Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, uh, Dave, today we want to uh, bring that into today, and, and I hope you hear us saying, well done, a good and faithful servant. And we'll have more words to say about Dave in just a moment. But let me, let me pray as we think of, of Dave as a leader that we would imitate his faith. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for your word. Lord, that it calls us to do things that we're initially uncomfortable with, and yet you know best. You have structured things in such a way uh, for the care of our souls. 
We thank you for the faithful ministry of Dave and other elders here at this church. We pray that that would only continue in the decades to come. Lord, as long as Christ tarries in his return, I pray that there would be faithful men raised up here that would keep watch uh, over your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.